Hey everybody, welcome into episode 6 of the Direct Podcast. We have quite another pack show for you this week. We got a Mando Season 2 Episode 2 review, as well as an MCU costume draft in honor of some news that's been coming out lately about future MCU costumes. Stick with us, we will be right back. Truth is, I am a Jedi, and I am burdened with glorious purpose. (laughs) Tony Stark was able to build this in a cave! Blow that piece of junk out of the sky! See you in a minute. I could do this all day. This is the way. But I'm also a big fan of justice. I'm vengeance. I'll show you the dark side. Why did you say that, Nerd? Come on! Let's get nuts. Assemble. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode six of the Direct Podcast. I am your host, the Colossus of Clicks, Liam Crowley, joined alongside, as always, by your friendly neighborhood, Matt Remke. Matt, it's been a wild week. It's been crazy. How 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 are you doing? I, I'm I'm doing about as good as you can be doing on the Friday of what has been this week. Um, it's been it's been a long and strange journey, but we're here, and we're here to talk about comic book movies and news and notes, and uh, we're going to review the Mandalorian. And I'm really excited to just you know escape into these amazing worlds that we love and we hope that we can be an escape for everyone listening as well liam how's your week man busy you know as you mentioned the everything going on has kept us pretty preoccupied little insight into myself and matt's livelihoods outside of comic book uh lore i work uh at my campus television station citrus tv we ran a three and a half hour election special tuesday Matt, I know your station in Denver has been doing crazy coverage. Both of us, I feel like, have been losing sleep and focused on maps and the colors red and blue. And to me, the only significance I want the colors red and blue to be for this show is with DC and Marvel. That's what they represent. We'll get in some yellow, too. We got a whole 20, 25 minutes to discuss our yellow content being Star Wars. It's been busy, but too I'm so to happy call. to be I love Too it. Too close and to call. I'm I'm excited. I'm excited to step away from politics and talk about stuff that I love. And um, I think we should dive into it. Hitting up today's sizzle reel. In MCU news this week, a Reddit user has posted a supposed Disney toy box prototype figure for what we believe will be Sam Wilson's Captain America costume in the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. It's important to note the figure is incomplete, but those primary colors, that star that we recognize as being on Captain America's chest is present. Will this be what we see in the show? Remains to be seen. Shared by Twitter users at Eternals News and at Eternals Talks, a new piece of marketing material leaked from Eternals. The image itself features the Eternals team as well as a bit of information about the team itself. Another leak from Eternals courtesy at Eternals News on Twitter shows off a better look at Richard Madden's Icarus costume. This is our first big look at the Eternals team all together all at the same time. And moving on to WandaVision news, WandaVision star Kat Dennings, Darcy Lewis herself, took some time to discuss in an interview with Entertainment Tonight where she sees WandaVision being released. The exact quote says, As far as I know, they're still going to try to get it out this year, that being 2020, but she did admit she isn't fully confident about Disney's exact plans. 
who of us is but let's move on to dc news speaking of the speaking to geek house show brandon ralph addressed the possibility of his superman making a return in the flash movie quote so it's absolutely a possibility you can do anything there are no rules brandon ralph potentially in the upcoming flash movie and moving into news from a galaxy far far away Observer shared a by-the-numbers breakdown of the premiere of The Mandalorian Season 2's first episode on Disney+. Plus. The outlet revealed several third-party measurements of the digital viewership of Mando Season 2, and those results were quite impressive, including a 5.7 streaming share and over 1 million households watched. Matt, we will talk all things Mandalorian in quite a bit, and it's awesome to hear that, you know, the rest of the world is as excited as we are about new content with Mando, but we're going to start things off as we always do with the sizzle reel. What stories stand out to you? Well, um, you know, I think the big thing that we got to look at here um, from a Marvel standpoint is Kat Dennings talking about WandaVision at the end of the year. I feel like this has been a pins and needles situation for the past eight months. You know, it's it's about as confirmed as it can be from Disney Plus without actually coming out and giving us a date that we will be getting WandaVision by the end of 2020. And I just really, I'm, I'm waiting for that other shoe to drop and a delay to be announced or an official date to be announced and it's not what we want. But guys, it's all lending toward 2020 being the reveal for WandaVision. And guys, we need MCU content. It's 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 in our bones and we need it. We need fresh stuff and WandaVision seems to be it. Very exciting to hear Kat Dennings talk about it. Very happy too that she says, as of right now, it's still 2020 remains to be seen. It's not a guarantee. It's far from a guarantee. At the end of the day, Darcy, Darcy Lewis is a supporting character in the show. It would be different. There'd be much more credibility if Lizzie Olsen or Paul Bettany was saying this. She's a supporting character as far as we know. So not that, you know, it's still important that she's saying it's probably going to be 2020 but doesn't know. But we we have to take it with a grain of salt because of the uncertainty of the quote, but also the fact that she's a supporting character. We don't know how close she's been talking with Disney executives. However, man, I'm really hoping it's 2020. I understand if it's a January 2021 release or even February, but I'm starving, Matt. I'm hungry. My stomach is rumbling for MCU content. The last time I saw an MCU movie or MCU new content was Spider-Man Far From Home. Same with you. And that feels like a lifetime ago. July 2019. It was a lifetime ago. But you know what? It All signs point to 2020 being our WandaVision release. And I'm super excited about it. Real quick hot take right here. Cat uh, Dennings playing Darcy Lewis. I suspect will be the dark ho- dark horse steals every scene she's in performance. Wow. I think okay, Darcy Lewis could be the comedic superstar of this series. I'm calling it. I'm calling it. Interesting. Write it Interesting. down. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Well, marking marking this timestamp now so we can we can reference it in in future episodes. But before we move on Yeah, I was going to say before we move on to to Mando news I'm really excited to see Eternal stuff coming out. I know it's leaks and it's not official, but man, oh man, our our boy uh, Brandon Davis BD on Twitter was graciously reminded us today as of this recording, Friday, November 6th, Matt, me and you would be lining up right now to get into a theater and watch Eternals or watch Black Widow on its delayed release date. 
We were supposed to get a Marvel movie. This would have been a Marvel movie review podcast that we'd be on right now. Sad. But we're not going to stress too much about it because we do have content to review. But back to Eternals talk. As we mentioned in our most anticipated projects, Eternals is in my top five of movies I gotta see. And from what we see with this leaked promotional material, it's grainy. It's a photo of a photo. It looks like it's from like a magazine advertisement. Regardless, I'm just happy that it's real. It's tangible. It's done filming. You know, the movie for all we know is in the vault and ready to go. One thing I will ask you since it's one of, I guess, your your phrases when it comes to our direct content. With this leak and with more information coming out, are you ready to put Eternals on Trailer Watch? Well, Liam, if you've been following along with the post credits on the direct.com, I put Eternals on Trailer Watch a month and a half ago when we started getting news about different actors and different plot points coming into play. I think this is a big step forward toward that prediction. As long as it happens at 12 months after I said it, I was right. I think that's the official rule. Um, so um, I predicted it about a month and a half ago. It looks like that prediction is about to come true. All credit goes to me. Um, but no, this is super exciting. I love you know seeing some promotional material. Um, it's it's looks like this is going to be the next big Marvel team. You know we have our Avengers, we have our Guardians, and it looks like the Eternals are about to step in as the next big faction in the MCU. And, um, you know, that's always exciting, you know, just based on this, you know, promo art that we get to see just kind of like looking at the vibe of it, it looks like every single character is going to ha- bring something different to the table and they're all going to come together to, you know, create a united character that we can all get behind. Um, something to look at here, you know, it is a grainy picture of a picture and, you know, it's kind of hard to get a lot from it, but there are a few things you can get from it. Um, especially, um, our, uh, good friend Tom Drew wrote an article about this uh, picture release. So um, he pointed out that you can see that these costumes are a lot more exaggerated, a lot more rigid and uh, practical and tactical looking than the original art that we got released at the uh, Hall H premiere way back when. Um, instead of more form-fitting skin-tight suits like a Superman or uh, different Kryptonians in that series would be. This looks a lot more like Thor with the, you know, bulky armor. And, um, you know, it just, you know, really fits well, makes everybody look very unique and different. So it's super exciting. I'm really excited to meet this team and learn what all all they can do. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm super pumped. It looks great. It really does. It's got the galactic feel to it. You mentioned very similar to Thor. It has those, like, circles you know how Thor has like the circles on his chest like I don't know if that has to do with some form of royalty or anything but Icarus is obviously going to be one of the main characters and the fact that he has those golden circles on his attire it seems like that might lend itself to his position of power who knows speculation remains to be seen regardless though Eternals can't come soon enough very very stoked and it's on my radar but one thing I guess we can talk about now that we both discussed and both watched very recently unless you have anything else you want to add to the sizzle reel absolutely not kick it Ma- mando season two episode two chapter 10 also known as do you the remember passenger. What it was called? the passenger the passenger Doo-doo. all right guys it is time for our mando season two episode two chapter 10 the passenger review recap all that good stuff man 
it's so good to be able to have consistent content to talk about. We got it kicked off last week. Uh, thank you guys for supporting and downloading the episode. We, we can clearly see that people want more content, more reviews and recaps. So we're going to stick with Mando Season 2 reviews and recap. Hopefully we'll be able to pass that baton on to WandaVision next month. Knock on wood, fingers crossed. On my knees, pray to God. Hopefully everything works out. But we're here to talk about Chapter 10, The Passenger. I wanted to say, to kick things off, a whole lot happened in this episode, but to be honest, not a whole lot did. Matt, I'll go to you first. What stuck out from Chapter 10 to you? Not a whole lot, Liam. Um, It was an incredibly fun episode. It was wittier and a little more comedic and a little more... um, Zany's not the right word, but I think you know what I mean. Than any other episode of The Mandalorian that we saw as I was watching it, I thought, I think, you know, the glaring obvious point of this episode that everybody's going to agree on was this was a filler episode. There was not about, there was not anything about the main story that really got pushed forward and there wasn't a ton of character development that happened. Does that mean that this needed to be a bad episode? No. But um, I think it did lack a little excitement on top of it being a filler episode. Um, but um, like I said, it was a little more comedic, a little more zany than other Mandalorian episodes. And I was wondering, you know, th- what is this style? What is this, you know, vibe I'm getting out of this episode that is so different? I try not to get on IMDb while I watch these things, but um, uh, and, I, and I didn't. And I was asking that question throughout the whole episode. And then the director popped up. It's Peyton Reed of Ant-Man yep. fame. And um, so it made a lot more sense when I saw that Peyton Reed's name uh, was directing this, this episode. Um, like I said, it was fun. Um, there were some cool moments. I have thoughts, I have feelings, but um, average, I think would be my uh, thought on episode two after episode one, the excitement of it kind of gave it a lot of big bang. Um, episode two, I, I expected a bigger follow-up and um, we didn't quite get that much. Liam, what'd you think? Yeah, a lot to agree with with what you said. Uh, We're now at three um, of, if if we're going to call them the six Infinity Stones, three Marvel directors now taking a crack at Mandalorian and diving into the Star Wars universe. Peyton Reed of Ant-Man fame, Jon Favreau of Iron Man, and Taika Waititi of Thor. So who knows who's coming next? Uh, Russo Brothers, political thriller set in the Star Wars universe? No shot. (laughs) No shot. They're, they're, They're staying away from franchises until Secret Wars happens. But in terms of what I liked from this episode, the opening was hot. I loved the opening. Uh, you see all the bounty hunters. Clearly, that storyline's still going on of other bounty hunters want to take in the child. We saw that teased in season one with, you know, the... What are those things called? The tracking devices? They, they give them a name. I forget what the name they give them, but there's tracking dev- trackers. Got it. Tra- trackers are everywhere, and other bounty hunters want the cargo that Mando is carrying, a.k.a. the child, Baby Yoda. And it was a hot start. I loved the beginning scene. I have some notes here where he he kicks ass. He takes out all those other bounty hunters and it was cool. And I also found it funny too when like that one bounty hunter is like, you know, I want the jetpack. And he's like, okay, it's yours. And I'm like, homie, do you know who you're talking to? Brother, do you know who you're talking to? You're not going to get away with this. And I was waiting to see him just like shoot him in the back or something. And the guy's walking off just beep, 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 boop, and sends him up in the jetpack. Hilarious. And while I wasn't expecting a comedic tone like that to get carried throughout, as you mentioned, we did get pretty zany as the episode continued. 
My favorite moment, it's very minor, but my favorite moment is when he's walking back to the village and he's carrying all of his wreckage from the speeder bike crashing. There's just this one transition shot of him. It's like a wide shot and then it transitions to him up close. It just looks so badass. It just looks so cool. And the score underneath, it gave me, it's weird that I noted this, but it gave me a bit of a Top Gun vibe. The guitar rift in the background. Do you know what I'm talking about? The like... Like, oh, it felt very Top Gun-esque. That was fantastic, Leo. Uh, did I nail it? Did I, I nail it? I think you did. I think Sweet. you did. Quick note about Top Gun. Did you know roughly 75% of that movie is montages that feature either Danger Zone or Take My Breath Away? <laughs> Danger Zone is played about every seven and a half minutes. Six times. So. I've counted. Six times they play Danger wow. Zone. And, and yeah, four so. times they play Take My Breath Away. So I think if we're going to continue with the Top Gun themes this season, we're going to get a shirtless Mandalorian beach volleyball scene at some point. Still wearing the mask. Still obviously. wearing the mask, but everything else, you know, maybe maybe he just shows off the abs for a little bit and we get uh-huh. those like 80 shots of the handshakes with like the pul- mm-hmm. bulging muscles and all that. If we continue talking. Good stuff. But back to back to what I liked, didn't like. There were some moments that like stuck out, but nothing that I'm going to look back on this season and go, that was one of my favorite moments, if that makes sense. Yeah, and, um, you know, I think, you know, what we're learning uh, about, you know, the Mandalorian in Season 2, they're killing the cold opens. The cold opens, they they know exactly what they want to do. They want to get a cool, unique, and um, resourceful action scene right off the top of the episode, remind everybody how kick-ass this Mandalorian character is, maybe introduce a new weapon or trait that he has that we weren't 100% aware of. Two episodes in a row, they've done that. Um, So, I... I really appreciate the cold opens. Um, you know, big fan of those so far. But to start the season off with two what I would call filler episodes is um, it's tough. It's tough to get super excited about you know where this series is going from a story standpoint. Um, you know, the first episode, obviously, the first ten percent of it, I'll say wasn't filler it was exploration it was catching us up it was reminding us where we are what we're doing and who we're doing it with and then uh the last 10 percent i call um was you know the cliffhanger we got the boba fett cliffhanger and it was exciting cool battle scene iron man moment but um the whole middle of the first episode was the monster of the week vibe that we got from a couple episodes in season one and this whole this entire second episode chapter 10 you know this was the you know, traveling across the land transport vibe of a filler episode that we also got in season one. I wrote down, this is a lot like a video game um, so yeah. far this season. You know, there's there's been two types of missions. There's the beat the boss monster mission where you have to, you know, team up with the other Mandalorian and, you know, take down the big uh, dragon monster. And then the second mission is a transport mission where you have a package, you have to deliver it. There's obstacles, you know, the... Um, the mechanic character i'm forgetting the actress's name right now if you can help me real quick if you if you keep talking i'll find it so i'm going to keep talking while we figure out this actress's name she is hilarious i'm a big fan of hers but um she is basically like an npc a non-playable character in a video game 
you know, she's just there to help you get from point A to point B. It's two episodes in a row now where we go back to her to get our next mission. Um, so it's got a big video game vibe. I'm not saying that's bad. Her, uh, the actress name is of course, Amy Sedaris, Amy Sedaris, like I said. Um, but, um, I think, you know, we're, we're understanding the vibe they're going for in season two. It's, it's very video gamey. I'm not saying that's good. I'm not saying that's bad. I just know that we are 25% way through the season and the main storyline really has not been pushed at all. Um, but the production as always is awesome. Um, Liam Donahue of the direct.com who wrote our review of this episode pointed out that Pedro Pascal really had to hold this episode. You know, he was bouncing off the child, baby Yoda and the frog lady who couldn't talk. Those are two characters that shared this episode with him that do not speak English. So this was a very Pedro Pascal episode. And I think he did a good job carrying it. Um, I just thought, I just wish there was a little more intrigue moving forward. Yeah, I definitely agree. I was thinking about my like one word review to, to describe this episode. And I would call it claustrophobic because the reason that for that being, I do not mind the filler monster of the week episodes when it's intriguing. I really liked the ATST episode directed by Bryce Dallas Howard last season. And I understand it really didn't push the um, story forward a whole lot, but I liked having that that contained story expanding upon an ATST, something we already knew, and, and making it feel more dangerous when you go back and watch the original trilogy. The episode one of this season, the gunslinger, not the gunslinger, excuse me, the Marshall, chapter 10, I liked expanding upon the crate Dragon and expanding upon the Tusken Raiders and all that. This one, we were set in, in, a, in a little crevice on this ice planet. And it was so, I, the, why I call it claustrophobic is I felt like it was so contained and I was like, knowing that he crashed there and seeing the hole in his ship, I kind of checked the time left in the episode, saw there was 20 minutes, I was like, he's going to have to do repairs. We're going to be stuck here for a while, aren't we? And I really didn't care for that. One thing I will note too about the director, Peyton Reed, I noticed too, you know, man, these, these spider shots look very familiar i wonder who directed this you know we got a guy in a suit that covers him head to toe outrunning a bunch of these crawling creatures who could have done this oh yeah ant-man director peyton reed so as we mentioned in episode one john favreau having some nice iron man elements in the scenes of him outrunning the spiders very reminiscent of ant-man one uh scott lang outrunning not outrunning but running alongside the ants when he was doing his training so I do very much enjoy that, seeing elements of past directors' uh, content being brought into um, Mandalorian episodes. I mentioned in our Season 1 recap, Bryce Dallas Howard showed us her Jurassic World knowledge with the ATST coming out of the woods. But overall, uh, you mentioned uh, in the chat here that we want to get into our our favorite and least favorite moments. As I said, the favorite is going to be the transition at the very beginning. It sounds so trivial, but I thought it kicked ass and thought it was pretty cool. However, the fact that that's my favorite moment kind of shows that this episode was a bit weak. And my least favorite moments, ooh, I mean, I, I gotta say just being stuck in that little ice crevice for a good 20-25 minutes, it was annoying, it was frustrating, and also it was frustrating that in the last two minutes of the episode, he repairs the ship and we get out of there. I was like, that's how long it took? Like, I understand we had to go and go into the ice bath from Avengers Age of Ultron and have the eggs be in there and all that. I understand we had to do that, but, like, can we 
get out of here. You know, it was like, mom, dad, like, why are we still talking to the neighbors? I'm hungry. I want to go home. We got to drop the child off at his, at his ice planet. You know, that's how it felt. It felt, it felt like when your mom runs into a friend at the grocery store and you're just sitting there like, come on, can we, can we get out of here? Can we get out of here, please? My mom refuses to step away from that situation. She refuses to do it um no yeah i i completely agree that that it dragged a little bit i mean and you know i'm not there's nothing outwardly bad about this episode it just didn't you know come out and do anything great which you know inherently overall gave us a little negative tone um my favorite moment just like you i had to dig a little bit to find it and um, i actually had to get some help from the uh great staff we have at the direct.com to confirm what i thought was happening in this scene it's um you know, one thing we haven't mentioned yet that was cool, a nod to Star Wars lore, is the uh, chase scene with the X-Wings. Um, two X-Wings track down the Mandalorian, and, um, you know, there's a great chase scene through the clouds and into this ice planet and a lot of cool maneuvers. X-Wings mess up his ship, and that's how we get to the hole that Liam talks about as his least favorite part of the episode, which is fine. Um, those X-Wings come back and save his ass from the giant spiders. Uh, the spider's actually the Kranka spider, um, uh, it's a nod to the Rebels series, the Star Wars Rebels series. So there's another quick little nod there. Um, the Rebels come back and save them, and um, Dave Filoni makes another great appearance. And um, they have this moment where they talk to the Mandalorian about how they should arrest him. And all these things are out, outstanding warrant for this, outstanding warrant for that. Were you here? Did you do this? And um, the Mandalorian simply asks, Am I under arrest? And then they say well you should be but um you know we heard what you've done um you know we heard that you you know you captured these prisoners you risked your life for this and uh you know we're gonna let you go and then you get a quick subtle nod of the john williams resistance theme from the sequel trilogy And, you know, I, I, I thought about that for a second. I was like, wow, that's really cool. I know that, I know that tune. Um, but these guys just said that they were a part of the new Republic. Why are they playing the resistance theme? And, you know, that's why I had to ask some of our writers at the direct to help explain this to me a little more. We have a lot more people on the direct.com that know a lot more about star Wars than me and Liam do. We will have them on this podcast in the future to really school us up on a galaxy far, far away. But, um, you know, I got some help and realized these guys are probably ex-Rebellion, ex-Wing pilots, hot, brought into the, uh, the, uh, the New Order. Uh, no, what is it? The New Republic. New Republic. Sorry. Yeah, Sorry. Yeah. Brought into the New Republic. And, you know, this is a subtle nod to the Resistance becoming a thing. You know, they, they know it's not right to bring in this guy who's done so much good in the face of the New Republic. So they let him go. And then that Resistance theme plays. And I thought that was really cool. Super big fan of that little nod there. My least favorite part is um, something that a lot of people have been worried about, me me included. I brought it up in last week's episode. A lot of Baby Yoda in this episode. A lot of Baby Yoda. And I'm never, ever in my life going to say it's a bad thing to put the best character in the show on the screen. Huge fan. At this point, Baby Yoda's story is becoming more intriguing than the cuteness that is Baby Yoda, in my opinion. And a lot of people are worried about Disney Star Wars peeking its head here and just trying to make money on those toys. This episode seemed a lot like that. 
There was a lot of Baby Yoda doing cute things for cute things' sake. Worried about it. That's all I'm going to say. I mean, uh, you know, he's still the man. He's still the star of the show. I really hope they don't oversaturate the best part of the show just to sell a few more toys and not push his great story that we're all very excited about forward. Yeah, I I agree with basically everything you just said. And I kind of want to expand upon the Baby Yoda stuff because we mentioned in episode one, most not episode one of the podcast, episode one of this season, uh, The Marshall, every shot we got of Baby Yoda in last week's chapter of The Mandalorian was there was no storyline purpose for it it was just to remind us oh no he's still here you know you remember baby yoda oh you love baby yoda there he is here in this episode what i yeah here in this episode what i was gonna say is when he was messing with those eggs the spider eggs and then causes a problem very reminiscent of like what a child would do he the equivalent of like you know spilling some water on the floor and then you know mando has to come in and clean it up and he's got a lot of dad aspects to it a lot of like no don't touch that oh don't eat that and then he's like jokingly one thing that was really weird was when baby yoda's jokingly eating the eggs and it's supposed to be like oh haha look at him he doesn't know what he's doing and then there's me watching this remembering at the beginning of the episode when they said oh it's very integral that this creature this frog creature gets to this planet because these are the last remains of his species and and yoda just Eating them? Eating the brood? That's savage. It's 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 a punchline, and I'm like, dude, you're you're committing genocide right now, theoretically. That's what you're doing. I'm like, yeah, no, we're fine. We're fine. Just looking for the eggs down here. And 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 the the frog creature who's supposed to care about this is just chilling in the hot tub, like, hey, as long as we got a couple eggs, that's all good. And I'm like, this child is actively eating the last remains of your species. And you're just like, where, where's the jets? Where's the jets in this jacuzzi right now? It's, it's, it's a weird vibe because like the frog lady, obviously we don't understand her for 90% of the episode, but when she gets that droid to talk for her, which was, I thought a cool, a cool way to get her to express her emotions, which I thought was I like cool. that. Yeah. I felt for her. You know what I mean? Like I, I felt very heavy when she was protecting those eggs and she was concerned about the livelihood of her species and getting to her destination to fulfill this prophecy that she's been put on. But then baby Yoda starts eating them and it, 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 it was weird. And <laughs> that, that's what I mean. Doing cute things for cute sake. You know what I mean? That is our story point of this episode. Our MacGuffin, our goober is these eggs and we have baby Yoda just eating them just because he looks cute eating them. And these are the things I'm worried about them oversaturating again, not saying there's anything wrong with doing these types of moments with baby Yoda, because that's the character we fell in love with. Oh, and then the surprise of season one, he's got a great story that we're excited about too. Don't oversaturate the beginning of baby Yoda to diminish the end of baby Yoda in this series. And that's what I'm worried about them heading into. But um, moving forward, overall, um, this was a fun episode with fun moments. The chase scene, the cold open, very cool. The last episode I felt was fun uh, with fun moments with some small moving forward of the story. What are your expectations for episode three? Episode three, I hate to say it, but I am worried we're going to get very similar themes to what we got in episode two because... I think the magic number is when you look at 
any season of television is the premiere, the mid-season finale, the mid-season premiere, and the finale. And so those episodes would be in this season, chapter 10, chapter... Okay, I'm going to go by episode title so I don't have to do math because I'm not a math guy. A not a math guy. guy. Confirmed on one. the direct podcast, Liam Crowley, not a math guy. Write that down at home if you're following along. Not a math guy. Colossus of Clicks, not a math guy. Um, chapter one, excuse me, episode one, episode four, episode five, and episode eight. Those are the ones to look out for. So I think the fact that two was filler, I think that means three is going to be filler. Four, I think we're going to get a great episode. But next week, I don't know. I think it's going to be a continuation of the story we got set up here. We're going to get to that planet, drop off those eggs. Maybe we'll get some more stuff because they did name drop Navarro. And if you go on any Star Wars Wikipedia, Wikipedia stuff, Navarro is known to be a planet. That was good. Thanks. Wow. Thanks. Navarro is known to be a planet of bounty hunters. So maybe we we'll get uh, Mando running into some more bounty hunters there, which will progress the story. But if anything, I think it'll be those little tidbits. I think we will get another conflict of the week, monster of the week, trapped in this ice cave of the week, trapped in the grocery <laughs> store of the week situation. But I do think we'll get some sprinkles of a bigger storyline that will be uh, impacted in episode four of this season. Yeah, that that, sa- that sounds right. I, it sounds like you're on the right path. Let me just give you a quick list off the top of my head of things we were excited for heading into the Mandalorian season two. Um, Cara Dune and Apollo Creed coming back. Sasha Banks. Ahsoka. Boba Fett. Um, other ones that I'm blanking on. Going to Baby Yoda's planet. Going to finding out who Baby Yoda is. Moff Gideon. Darksaber. All that stuff. That's seven things that we listed. 25% through this season. None of them have been touched on. They got a lot of work to do. Boba Fett. Is Boba Fett, but all we know is his presence. It yeah. almost added to the crowded expectation storyline that they now have in front of them. They have six episodes to address a lot of stuff. Sure, a lot of things could happen. Sasha Banks could be playing an NPC type role that you know is if ends up being a fan favorite. Not that much time allotted to her, which which would be fine. But you know, between Ahsoka, Boba Fett, Moff Gideon, those are three big name, high priority characters that they have to touch on, flesh out, and get us excited for for season three within six episodes, all while taking care of the Baby Yoda storyline. So you know. Not saying they can't do it, John Favreau. You have all of my trust, and I and I doubt you never. But you do have a lot of work to do in six episodes, and I am while I'm excited to see how he does it. I am worried that it might. It feels like we're heading into a situation where it's going to be a tad rushed. Nothing kills a modern day television series like this more than being rushed. See Game of Thrones. So. Um, yeah, next week, chapter 11, title unknown, Mandalorian season two. Tune back into the direct podcast for every single week's Mandalorian review. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to our second ever direct draft. A few episodes ago, Liam and I drafted our most anticipated future projects across all three universes, MCU, DCU, and the Star Wars universe. We put the results out on social so the direct community can vote on their favorite. There was a winner. There was a loser. I'm not going to talk about it. Liam, do you have anything to say on the subject? 
No comment. No comment. Okay. So <laughs> today we will be drafting the best MCU costumes, picking our favorite kits from the Marvel Cinematic Universe so far, but we're not alone. Mr. Stark, you become part of a bigger universe. You just don't know it yet. Today, we're joined by one of the many wonderful writers on thedirect.com. Joining us, hailing from the UK, all the way from Dubai, Mr. Tommy Tombstone. Drew! Tommy, how we doing? Hello. I'm good. I'm good. Uh, happy to be here uh, on the Direct Podcast talking MC costumes. It's going to be fun. Um, yeah, thrilled to yeah. be a part of it. Super exciting to have you on here, Tom. Tom will be one of our many guests we have, different writers from thedirect.com. Tom, we actually just got done with our Mandalorian review and um, want to know if Ooh. you had any quick reactions on the episode. Have you been able to watch it? Yeah, I caught it this morning uh, as soon as it dropped. Uh, not going to lie, uh, I don't want to be a downer. No, it's fine. might have not enjoyed it as much as some people did, um, especially after last episode, which is obviously an absolute banger of uh, a season premiere. Um, but yeah, I wasn't that impressed, to be honest. It was... Um, a bit meandering. There are obviously some cute moments, uh, a lot of father-child um, moments between Baby Yoda and Mando, but yeah, it didn't really do it for me, unfortunately. Yeah, I think yeah. we had the same. <laughs> we had very similar sen- we had very similar sentiments. We thought it dragged a bit, and I agree. I thought episode one of the season was awesome, and I thought it set a tone that I don't really think this one capitalized on. We talked a lot about it, Matt. I'm ready to get into this draft. I, I'm gonna. You're essentially the draft master. You know, you're the Adam Silver. You're you're going up to the podium. You're you're announcing the picks. Let us know, or let the people know, essentially how we're gonna do this thing. So, guys, we're gonna be drafting our favorite MCU costumes. We're gonna be doing it snake style. We're going to be picking our three favorite costumes and then a wild card pick. The wild card pick is meant to be a tiebreaker, if you will. So, when we put this out on social media, if you like for let's say Liam and Tom's team equally look at the wild card pick, see which one resonates with you a little better and then vote on your favorite team. We're going to be using hashtag direct draft. Look out for these results on social media. Please let us know who you think capitalized on the MCU costume draft. Liam, are we a respectable and, you know, honest podcast? We are 100% transparent on this podcast. Right. So we are going to give the first pick to our guest, Tom Drew. Tom, what is your number one 101 MCU costume draft pick? First of all, I just want to say I'm honored to be drafting this the first time, uh, yeah. first time around. Um, so I'm just going to go with a heavy hitter, I guess. Um, one of my favorites uh, from the bunch, Captain Marvel suit um, from her titular film, Captain Marvel. Uh, I just think it's a it's a bold, colorful, unabashed suit. You know, it it's uh, it takes the comic book costume and it just adapts it perfectly into the MCU, which I know you know a lot of costumes do uh, in the Marvel movies. But it just retains that iconography while updating it to look a lot more modern and fresh, and kind of uh, gives a little uh, few more details than you would in a, a typical comic book page. Um, plus, the suit looks even better when you got those uh, additional pieces to it as well. Um, like you've got the helmet and the Air Force jacket that she wears at the end uh, of the film, um, which is just, it just kind of ties the whole look together. And uh, yeah, I just, I just love that suit. That's a great pick. Wow. 
Very, very strong number one. And I think it a bit of a dark horse too, Matt. And I don't think I, I was expecting that. Were you expecting that to go number one overall? Um, no, quite frankly, no. Um, I do love that costume. I think Brie Larson looks incredible in it. I think what's cool about that costume that, you know, a little deeper dive into comic books or especially the Avengers cartoon, um, the first part of the movie, it's green. It's, it's the Kree costume. And uh, they really capture that really well, too. You know, as much as the Captain Marvel costume really capitalizes on the cool comic book look, um, I think they do well with the Kree. Tom, are you, you know, that being your number one pick, are you excited about the potential of the, you know, the shifting costume for Captain Marvel with the black leotard with the red uh, belt and, you know, the lightning bolt kind of vibe? Yeah, I mean, like, I think that's definitely something they could do. Um it's uh it's obviously a deviation from that um classic miss marvel look um mm -hmm. that she used to go by um and we've already seen captain marvel kind of take on you know at least like three suits in the mcu already mm -hmm. so i definitely think um the big lightning bolt especially going uh into inspiration for kamala khan down the road i think that would be an amazing look uh that she could take on uh later down the road kick ass 101 captain marvel liam pick two you're up if you know me, you know how big of a Captain America guy I am. I, I've even gotten, I, I won't say that I've, I think this, but some people on the Twitter sphere have compared me to Steve Rogers, whatever, you know, not, who am I to say? You would never that's, say that. That's what the people say. Would never say that. Would never. So my first pick has got to be a Captain America pick, and it is bar none my favorite suit in the MCU, maybe my favorite suit in comic book history at least on screen live action. And that is the Captain America stealth suit from Captain America the Winter Soldier. He rocks that bad boy in that kick ass opening scene of the Winter Soldier. It's my favorite Marvel movie. I got the poster right behind me to show. And I was so glad that he brought it back for that one brief scene in Avengers Endgame because an interesting little tidbit about it, it is Chris Evans's favorite Captain America suit. And when they asked him, you know, Avengers Endgame was the culmination of this great saga they wanted their actors to have a little bit of input in it. They asked him what suit he would want to bring back, and he wanted to bring back the stealth suit. Obviously, there, he wasn't going to wear it in the final battle because they wanted to do that comic-accurate um, eagle feathers and everything. And that's a great suit, don't get me wrong. I love it, but that stealth suit is so sweet. And when he matches the shield, too, with the baby blue and the navy blue, and it all matches nicely, it's the perfect suit for a stealth mission like he carries out in The Winter Soldier. And I'm sad we're never going to see it again. Probably. Maybe. Who knows? Maybe we'll see it in a vault somewhere in the, in the Falcon and the Winter Soldier series. But bar none, it's my favorite costume. The Captain America stealth suit is my number one overall pick. I love it. Um, you know, I can't think of that suit without thinking of the opening scene from Winter Soldier where he lands on that boat and he just wrecks shop on like 50 straight dudes who have no chance to stop this man running at them full speed and you can't even see him coming great stealth suit um you know not my favorite captain america suit but top a primo captain america suit great pick i think it's definitely a bold pick and i think it's it's definitely one of the most unique captain america suits uh for sure because I think the Captain America suit is just, it's become kind of iterative as the suit, uh, suits have come along. You know, we've had that uh, costume from Age of Ultron and from then they've kind of built on that Great. and kind of updated it um, in Civil War and, and Infinity One and finally Endgame. Um, but yeah, the Winter Soldier suit, it's unique. It looks slick. 
Um, and yet, yeah, it's, it's a fantastic pick, for sure. Silver Shield, also an underrated aspect of the self suit. Um, okay, so I guess I'm up back to back. Get the turn here. Very exciting. Um, so a common theme throughout my picks, Liam knows this, um, will be comic accuracy meets practicality within the MCU. I love when they can take such a wild and crazy concept from the comics and adapt it to this movie universe, but make it make sense. So my first pick will be the pinnacle of both of those aspects. It's the last Marvel movie we all saw. It's Spider-Man Far From Home, the Mysterio suit. Um, I think that Mysterio quite in, in a very quick way became one of everybody's favorite villains. And I think his look, his aesthetic, and his vibe really played a big part in that. And of course, the suit is the crux of all of those elements. Um, you know, in the comics, Mysterio is this special effects artist illusionist who, um, you know, makes his way by tricking people and fooling them into thinking that they're seeing things that they don't see and using his, you know, wild appearance as a big factor in that the fishbowl obviously is the iconic piece of the suit. I think, you know, that is such a crazy wild concept. How can you make that look real? How can you make it look serious in an MCU movie, especially one with as big of a scope as far from home? And I think they did a really cool job with the drones and the mocap suit and the CGI. You know, it, he's being an illusionist. You know, it's a scientific way to do it. It's not magic. It's not smoke bombs. It's not a you know maniacal laugh. But, you know, he uses his brains to become a modern day illusionist. And it's such a cool way to adapt such a zany, wild concept. Huge fan. You know, they even... They, they talk about the suit a lot in the movie, you know, uh, Talos uh, talks about it, you know, the craftsmanship, it's beautiful. Um, you know, they, they do a really good job pointing out how awesome it is, but also how ridiculous it is all at the same time. And I think that's really well done. And that's my one-on-one Mysterio. Wow. Yeah. I, not a whole lot of surprise here. Cause Matt, I know you, I know how you like the practicality and how it transitions to live action and the comic accuracy and all that. But I will agree. I, I have nothing to disagree with with what you said about the Mysterio suit. It's awesome. It's it's everything we saw on the page with some tweaks to make it practical and live action, but a very appropriate rendition of what we saw. They didn't take any liberties. They didn't change anything drastically. We get the fishbowl. We get the big regal cape. We even get the eyes on the on like the shoulder plates. It's perfect, and I really hope we get to see it again with maybe some upgrades, you know? Maybe if he comes back for a Sinister Six-type role in future Spider-Man projects, I would love to see it evolved, and his character makes sense. He's the guy who, you know, he's trying to be the big superhero in the news sphere, and he wants all the attention, and he probably wants toys to be made of him in this universe. So the fact that it is exaggerated but fits his character it's perfect tom what are your thoughts on the mysterio suit yeah I, I can't agree more it's it's a really faithful adaptation of the suit from the comics and there is that um kind of risk of making it look too goofy um with the fishbowl head and that sort of thing but they managed to address it and still make it look kind of imposing um and heroic at the same time because you have you know, obviously they're gonna they're trying to portray uh, Mysterio as a hero to the public, but then later on in the kind of uh, nightmarish, like, um, uh, sort of Mysterio sequence, basically, um, he is very imposing, he's very uh, threatening to Peter, and I think they capture that as well. And another tidbit that I like about the suit is that when he is just 
just in the, the mocap suit. Um, when Jake Gyllenhaal's just in that, he has a fishbowl underneath the fishbowl as well. Um, right. So they just like went full, they went full ham with it and uh, they didn't shy away from any of those elements. So no, I think it's, uh, it, things are very soon. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. And Jake Gyllenhaal, I mean, come on, he can make anything look cool. Am I right? Um, so my second pick, you know, we talked about Captain America being a very, you know, different iteration. Every single time we see him kind of suit guy, but guys, we are four picks into this thing and we are just now getting to our first Iron Man suit. Are you kidding me? This is this is the suit. It's Iron Man. I mean, you know, you can't have an MCU costume draft without bringing up the guy who has all the suits. So um, I'm going to go with, you know, it's chalk. I don't care. This is about getting votes, guys. I'm here to win. And I'm going to go with the Iron Man Mark 75 Infinity War suit. Um, you know, we all know with Iron Man, it's not just about the suit. It's about the suit up. And, and when you, when you have that moment where he brings in his weapon, his power, his, his ability, you know, it's, it's always the best part of any Iron Man movie. And I think Infinity War is the best suit up suit in the MCU so far. And that is high praise because I mean, they're all awesome. Right. So, um, you know, we, we've all seen it he's in the streets. He double taps the chest piece, tightens up the tracksuit, and it's go time. It's nanotech. You like it? Um, so, you know, the Mark 75, he goes the entire movie in one suit because, you know, we spent six or seven movies beforehand having him trying to navigate keeping his suit up to date with his current storyline. Iron Man 3 was a lot about bringing in as many suits as possible. It comes down to Infinity War. He just needs one throughout the entire movie. It almost gets him there. Iron Man, Infinity War, Mark 75. That's my second pick of the MCU costume draft. Matt, we, we agree a lot. I, I love to agree with you, and I think that's what makes us such a compatible duo on this podcast. But He's I do around, have right? some discrepancies. I do have some discrepancies with the Infinity War suit. One thing I think you nailed is the suit up. Best he's done in the entire MCU. Double right. taps, you know, the chest piece, slow badass walking, takes off the glasses, and their glasses, nanotech. You like it? It merges right into the entire suit. What I will say is it's one of the most evidently CGI suits of Iron Man's character in the MCU. Hmm. And I think a lot of that is because so much happens on daytime planets. You know, when he's on Titan, we never see any darkness, which can mask some, um, you know, I wouldn't call it bad CGI, just right. evident that it's computerized. Although it's nanotech, you know, is it meant to look extra glossy and extra, you know, not as practical and chunky as past Iron Man armors? Yes. So in that sense, I think it's faithful to what they're going for. But there were moments in Infinity War where I was like, this, this looks very CGI. And I thought what they expanded upon and gave him, you know, the very comic accurate chunky leg bits and, and the colors and everything in Endgame and mm -hmm. still the same suit up, double taps the chest. I thought they fixed a lot of CGI issues that I had with Infinity War. So it's a great suit up scene and it's faithful to the nanotech technology i will say though it's not my favorite iron man suit tom what are your thoughts on the the double tap uh I'll, yeah can we call it the double tap armor i kind of like that I don't the double tap armor now. that's pretty kick-ass <laughs> <laughs> yeah i like it um it's uh it's a great suit and i think it's um 
because of the nanotech, you can do, well, you see that um, Tony Stark does so much with that nanotech in the film. Uh, you know, he's making like four wings come out of his back to fly around uh, more quickly. Um, he has the like booster when he's flying up towards uh, Spider-Man. Give me a little well. juice, um, And Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and uh, when he's, you know, as the film goes along, which is another great aspect of the suit, is that the nanotech kind of wears away as well. And you, as he's getting kind of beaten down by Thanos, he's uh, like desperately trying to use this nanotech to, to fight against him, but it's just kind of eroding away, um, which is just a cool, really cool aspect of the suit. Um, because, you know, you don't really see battle damage uh, to a lot of the costumes in the MCU. Um, but this, it really takes a toll on Tony. And um, I, I really like that little detail um, that they have going through Infinity War. Yeah, I, I love all that. And I love how, yeah, when he gets beaten down, you see it on the suit. He's losing the nanotech uh, to be able to repair elements that um, he's gotten attacked with. You know, Thanos is able to stab him because in a part of his torso is exposed and he can't get it back. So I really like that. My second pick, we are going to go into the wide variety of Marvel villains. I know Matt was able to take Mysterio with his first pick. I am going to go with what I will call one of the best, if not the best, story arc throughout the entire MCU, and that villain being Loki. And I'm going to go with his suit from the original Avengers movie from 2012, Avengers Assemble, Marvel's The Avengers, whatever you want to call it. Loki's suit from that movie is perfect i love the green tint to it and it it's what what we said about the mysterio suit it's comic accurate in that they give him his colors but they make it a little bit darker they don't make it over comic booky the gr the green is more of an emerald it's more of a darker army shade of green and then he has the gold plates too to show that he comes from another world and the world he comes from he is royalty there he is loki of asgard and he is burdened with glorious purpose my favorite line in the entire mcu and then we want to talk about the comic book uh, elements of it. Those horns, I think it works because he's so campy, but it works because he's trying to conquer this world and he's trying to be, you know, a, a king, a ruler, uh, a conqueror of Earth. And he wants to show that he's, you know, kind of crazy and how he wants to showcase his power. And the horns work when he when he takes on the helmet when he's in Germany, you know, not to men like you, you will always kneel. I love it. I love how the scepter, the gold tint matches some of the gold on his suit. And also another element with these costumes, even though it's on his face or on his head, I guess, his hair in this, oh my God, the flow is incredible. It all goes so well together. Loki from the Avengers 2012, my favorite villain suit and my number two pick. Tom Hilson's always got underrated flow within the MCU. I mean, Chris Evans, Chris Hemsworth, they get a lot of love for their amazing hair, but Tom Hilson cannot be slept on from a hair standpoint. Um, yeah, I love the Loki suit. Um, I think the Loki suit crawled so the Mysterio suit could run. You know, they, they really, they, they let loose with the, let's be as campy as possible, but do our best to make it look cool with the Loki suit in Avengers 2012. And the fact that it was so successful allowed them to keep building onto that with other, you know, crazy comic book iterations um being adapted on a screen i think that's a legacy pick if i'm if i could call it that um i think it's a good one i'm a big fan yeah and i think it's a shame that uh as the mc's kind of gone on that loki's kind of lost that green tint swim like in mm -hmm. ragnarok he's kind of got more of a blue suit um so i do hope that he kind of retains that when he move into the loki series and he kind of 
uh, get to that green bag. You know, I think that's what the, the series is going to be about. Um, back to being the god of mischief. So yeah, it's a, it's a fantastic suit. Uh, matches the scepter as well. Um, it's a, can I say it's a costumes uh, on fleek? Is that still, is that still? Uh, yeah, yeah, I like that. In 2012, yeah. on fleek was hot. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say real quick before we jump on, because I can't let it pass. Um, his use of the horns in Thor Ragnarok is much better than the use of the horns in Avengers. I just have to say that. Okay, whatever. Another podcast for another time. A good question for another time. But Tom, Tom, you'll come to know if you become an avid listener of this podcast. I have a lot of problems with Thor Ragnarok, and Loki's suit I, is one of them. So I'm glad you touched on that. I've, I've seen your uh, your things on Twitter, and uh, you know we'll have, to, we'll have to talk about that one. It's coming up. Liam versus Thor Ragnarok. It's gonna be hot. Um, Tom, Tom, we need your second pick. You got two here, so you know play the game a little bit. We got two picks in a row for Tommy Tombstone. Let's get it. All right. Uh, I think well, we're on the topic of villains, so I think we're gonna have to we're gonna have to begin bringing the big guns. Yeah. And we're gonna go Thanos yeah. from Infinity War. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, you know, it's quite a simple costume, I'll admit. And to be honest, when it was announced at S- either SDCC or D twenty three, I was definitely I was I was apprehensive. I was a bit like, why isn't he wearing you know the full Mad Titan gear from the comics? But when, as soon as the movie started and he comes out from the portal and, you know, he's got it, I was all in. I was all in. He looks fantastic. Just very simple. He's got the infinical in hand. He's got like a vest and some trousers. Um, but it works for his arc. It works perfectly. You know, he's, he's, as he gains the stones, he doesn't need all this bulky armor. He's already got all the power that he needs in the gauntlet. Um, and I just think it's a very simple but a very effective look. Um, for such a uh, such a great villain in the MCU. I want to touch on this a bit because I very much agree with everything you said in terms of when you first heard about it, I was a bit hesitant. And then when you see it in action, it makes so much sense. I really wanted Conqueror Thanos armor, and we get that in the opening scene of Infinity War. And then, you know, past Thanos and Endgame is wearing it the whole time. The fact that he sheds the armor at the beginning of Infinity War and dons essentially what... If you want to relate to what he's wearing, to what a human would wear, he's wearing a wife beater tank top and some sweatpants. That's what he's wearing, essentially. But it makes sense, because at this moment, he's like philosopher Thanos. He is the one trying to spread his message and not trying to do it destructively. He doesn't want to kill anyone by his hand. He just is going to do what needs to be done with the snap. And so after seeing what we got in Endgame and going back and watching Infinity War, that garb that he wears makes perfect sense to his character while also being extremely practical, which is what we're going for with this draft. Yeah, and, and um, you know, I think the, the best part, like Tom said and Liam alluded to, is the simplicity as he gains the stones. You know, we see him, we see a silhouette of the Mad Titan armor, and then as he becomes more powerful, he sheds the, the gear that, you know, brought him to that point, you know, heading into getting the stones, Thanos was the end all be all of conquerors throughout the universe. All that armor, I'm sure played a big part of that, but as he gains the stones, he sheds them. And then we go back to Endgame, where, you know, a lot of people say that the Thanos in Endgame was way more kick-ass than the Thanos in Infinity War. And they're right. He's a brute. He's a boxer. He's going to get you. Um, You know, when you see him in that full armor and he looks as intimidating as he looks, 
you can understand why people were scared of this guy before the stones, but to shed all of that away retroactively as the stones come in, I think it's a beautiful moment. The rooster brothers can do no wrong. How bad do you guys want to watch infinity war and Endgame game back to back right now? I, it's top of my list. Oh my God. I did. I got my Disney plus subscription a couple of weeks ago and I'm ready to, to dive back in. All right, Tom hit us with your third pick. Yeah, so this is a tough one because I have to think tactically about what I mm-hmm. what I decide. Um, we've already talked a bit about Spider-Man, specifically his villains. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I'm just gonna have to to rip the bandit off and go straight into the to my Spider-Man pick. Yep. Uh, for this one, um, obviously he's got some amazing suits in general, um, but specifically in the MCU, he's had some amazing designs from the Homecoming suit the Far From Home suit, to the Iron Spider suit from Infinity War, which is, you know, a, a comic book fan's dream. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I'm going to go a bit simpler than that, which is, I guess has been kind of a theme for, for my pick so far. I'm going to say the Spider-Man homemade suit uh, from the third act of Spider-Man Homecoming, um, my goodness. which is a bit of a, probably a bit of a surprise. Um, it. But it kind of, it stems from two things, I guess. First of all, uh, obviously being a big comic book fan. Um, I love the Scarlet Spider suit uh, from Ben Riley, which yes. is basically just, it's just a hoodie and uh, a red Spider-Man suit. Very simple, Dang but I. this is basically a bit massivized. Yeah. Massivized. Um, but yeah, this is basically the MCU's version of that. And I, I never thought we'd ever see a Scarlet Spider suit in the MCU, but this is, we got it. We basically got it. And I love that aspect to it. Um, but also, I, I just love how it kind of speaks to, to Peter's character at that point in the film. Um, typically in, in, well, in Marvel films, but in superhero films in general, you'll kind of have this, as the hero's journey goes on, they'll start off with a very homemade and makeshift suit. And then once they've kind of proven themselves as a, as themselves as a hero, they'll get like a new suit, like in the first Iron Man, for example. Mm-hmm. He starts off with the, the suit that he makes in a cave with a box of scraps. Uh, he moves on to the the silver Mark II suit, and uh, then he gets the uh, Mark III suit at the very end, which is the you know the primo, the, right. the one uses to do that. But in in Homecoming, it flips that because he gets the the high tech technological suit at the very beginning, but then he gets that stripped away from him, and he has to prove himself without that and prove that he can be Spider Man on his own. Um, which I just think is it's so Peter Parker and it's so genius that Ken Feige all the producers at Marvel decided to go that way. And I, I honestly thank John Watts and Tom Holland for doing that justice so hard. So yeah, the homemade suit, um, who would have thought, right? Um, yeah. But yeah, that's my <laughs> You know, I'm, I'm, I'm shocked by every single one of Tom's picks, but you know what? I kind of love his team. <laughs> I kind of love his team. It's a, that's a great pick. I mean, the Scarlet Spider angle on it, I think is so cool. The reverse hero's journey angle you took on it, I never thought of it that way. Big Thor vibes, maybe? You know, I, I strip you of your yeah, arm. Yeah. This, you know, prove yourself and get it back kind of thing. I think it's really cool. Um, I think uh, what what makes Spider-Man Homecoming the best Spider-Man, live-action Spider-Man movie, um, in my opinion, is, you know, the groundedness of it and that suit really drives it home from a visual standpoint um come on spider-man is in my opinion the top five moment in the mcu and you know you get that moment 
where he's looking down in that puddle and you get half of Peter Parker's face and half of the Spidey suit face, you know, for comic book fans, we all know what that means. That's Spidey sense. That's, that's when, that's when he turns it on. That's his phone booth moment. And, you know, come on Spider-Man. I'm getting chills talking about it. Come on Spider-Man has such a realism to it because Tom Holland's the greatest young actor in America right now, or in the world right now, I should say, I'm sorry. Um, But he, he drives that moment home with such a realness to it and the suit adds so much to that i love the pick thank you for bringing all of those points up that i never even thought of with the homemade spidey suit <laughs> yeah i want to i want to touch on on what you said before i give my final final pick before the wild card round and that's yeah the practicality in how it's the reverse hero's journey in terms of he has everything he wants at the beginning and it's stripped away and now he has to earn it back it's awesome and I wrote a feature article for the direct a couple months ago about the best human scenes, character-driven scenes, not a whole lot of CGI in action, the scenes that are conversations, essentially, that evolve people's character. And almost, I believe, three of the top five were Spidey scenes where that suit is integral to the scene and come on Spider-Man when he's in the rubble and he's screaming for help and you realize, man, he's just a kid. And then you, you take a, another look at the suit and you realize that's just a hoodie you know, with the sleeves cut off, and that those are pajamas that he's essentially wearing. It it strikes home who Peter Parker is. You realize how in over his head he is trying to be toe-to-toe with this team of global, world-renowned superheroes, and he's a kid from Queens. And that suit drives it home so perfectly. So very glad you brought that up. And it was funny because before you brought it up, I have a whole bunch of suits on my radar uh, on a list right now. Have to cross off a couple because some have been taken. And the Spidey suit was going to be one of my Dark Horse picks. So shout out, Tom, for taking it when you did because you stole it from me. You stole Am I voting for Tom? Am I going to vote for Tom? <laughs> I mean, you might have to. That was you might have to. And just take, I just take it. I, that's, uh, I'm sorry, guys. You're never coming <laughs> on the podcast. Hey. I'll tell you that much. Yeah? <laughs> my my third pick. <laughs> my yeah. third pick before we get into the wild card round. It's a deviation from where I thought I was going to go with this draft originally, but it has to be referenced because you'll you'll understand where I'm where I'm going uh, further. It's Black Panther from Civil War. That costume is so sweet. I see I see Matt groaning. I think I might have taken one of his picks. Black Panther suit from from the Black Panther movie. I like it, but I think it falls into some of the problems I have with Iron Man suit from Infinity War and that it does look a little CGI. It looks a little, you know, leotard-esque and you don't really get the texture on it. I have a picture called up right now of the Black Panther suit from Civil War. I don't know what it is about the texture, but it just does it for me. Like, it looks mesh. It looks like dry fit, essentially, and it looks very practical. It's what we get when... Like, vibranium is obviously a fictional element. It's a fictional metal. But when they talk about vibranium weave and using vibranium to make clothing, this is what I would expect it to look like. And somehow they nailed that. I don't know how you take a fictional element and make it look how it's supposed to, but they did. And yeah, it's just so badass. The white eyes, I, that's a, I'm a sucker for white eyes in comic book suits. Batman from Batman v Superman with the with the Batman Returns armor and his eyes glowing white is awesome. The Deadpool uh, white glowing eyes from the Deadpool movies. Even the Spider-Man white glowing eyes from any Spider-Man movie ever. 
they nail it with Black Panther. And yeah, just he's so badass in this suit. And it's my number three pick. Except for the Amazing Spider-Man one. They, they, they decided to go with sunglasses. Correct. There, those really those sunglass lenses. Move. Come on. <laughs> what are we doing? What are they doing? <laughs> but hey, they nailed it in the second one. Those are probably the best eyes, except for Spider-Man in Civil War. Because, um, you know, just to touch, you know, you brought up the Black Panther Civil War outfit. And I think, you know, that movie is really the, the two key moments other than the story moments in that movie is the Spider-Man reveal and the Black Panther reveal, right? Like that, that's what really brought that movie to the forefront of, you know, a top five MCU movie. Um, you know, a lot of people would say, you know, the thing about Spidey in that movie, you know, they really highlight the emote in his eyes. You know, they can shrink, they can grow. He can show emotion through the mask, which a lot of people think is a problem with the first two Spider-Man attempts is that you can't really show emotion through the mask they allowed through that civil war in the same way you're talking about the practicality of weaving in the vibranium in the black panther suit i think that's a really awesome point to point out great suit i actually had written down the black panther suit from black panther because i was going to try to tie it in because you know in 2018 was a wild time guys it seems like a long long time ago in galaxy far far away right um, you know, we talked about the nanotech from the Iron Man Infin- Infinity War suit. We got a little tease of that, uh, you know, a few months earlier in Black Panther when Shuri's talking about what are you going to do? Take off your helmet and put on your suit? No, we're going to grow this out of a necklace just like Tony grows it out of his chest piece. And, um, you know, I-, I thought that was a really cool part of the Black Panther. But talking about the practicality of weaving in the vibranium into the hard copy suit you can call it um i think that's a really awesome way to look at it and uh he looks like a badass you know we miss you king r.i.p in peace yeah and i think adding to that i uh, kind of when comparing it to the the civil war black panther suit to the one that we got in black panther i think the civil war suit is kind of it strikes that perfect balance between very strong and um just very I guess very a very weighty armor. You feel the kind of impact when he's uh, when he's fighting uh, the Winter Soldier for the first time, you know. Um, but he's also very sleek and agile, and you still get that kind of um, agility to him, even when you have this kind of um, very mechanical armor compared to the one that he gets later in Black Panther. Um, yeah, I just I just love that suit because it's so regal, it's so ornate, and it's perfectly befitting. Um, for a king and for a very mysterious um, like introduction to that character because I mean obviously when we go into Civil War we all knew that T'Challa was Black Panther obviously but to general audiences I can imagine that you know this guy comes into the scene and you're like oh, who's this guy in this really badass armor I don't know um, and it just it it kind of it just brings that mystery to it and uh, yeah I love it absolutely um, so I guess it's my turn right last pick. Last pick before the wild card. All right. So um, I'm tilting here. I don't know who to pick. Um, I don't want to take a Spider-Man pick because Tom already did. I don't want to take a Black Panther pick because Liam already did. Um, I kind of want to throw that logic out the window to take my Captain America suit, but I don't think I will. Um, A lot of ones we can go through here, but Liam, you know where I'm going. You know where I'm going. I'm a comic book accurate guy. I think I do. Sir Dr. Stephen Strange. um, Specifically from Liam's favorite movie, Thor, Ragnarok. The difference, you know, I want to first talk about the Doctor Strange costume. 
it looks great. You know, the blue robe, the red cape, it, 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 it all looks very good. You know what I mean? The aesthetic is awesome. It feels, um, you know, like, you know, he trained in a mountain in, you know, the middle of nowhere, you know, like it has that, you know, monkish kind of vibe to it. You know what I mean? The master of the mystic arts, you know, tone, but, um, you know, and then also the Cape is its own character in the first Dr. Strange movie. We all fall in love with it. He gets another run in infinity war. One of the most underrated funny characters in infinity war is Dr. Strange's Cape or the cloak or whatever cloak of levativity. Um, but what makes Dr. Strange's outfit in Thor Ragnarok over the top elite is the yellow gloves. They bring us the yellow gloves and, you know, it shows us how good Stephen Strange has gotten at this mystic art thing while showing off the yellow gloves. It's perfect comic book accuracy. The casting of Benedict Cumberbatch as Dr. Strange, I think it's 10 out of 10. It's as good as they've done in the MCU, which is saying a lot because they keep on nailing it. Um, so yeah, Dr. Strange, Thor Ragnarok, yellow gloves. That's my pick. For as many problems as I have with Thor Ragnarok, one thing I absolutely love is that Doctor Strange suit. And one thing about Doctor Strange, and one thing I, I like about what they're doing with Spider-Man now too, is in the MCU, red and blue, I associate those colors with Captain America. And two other characters that I've taken red and blue are Spider-Man and Doctor Strange. What I really liked about Spider-Man Far From Home was the black and red suit, Obviously, I think they will go back to blue and red going forward. However, I like black and red being Spider-Man's identity. I like how, how those colors are now directly associated with Spider-Man, and I really like that suit. Doctor Strange being, you know, the blue cloak with the, the red cape. I will say, not the blue cloak, the blue, you know, garb and all that. Blue robe, exactly. And then the red cape. I like having the yellow element. I think it spices it up a bit. And, you know, he's the master of the mystic arts. What do you associate with magic and the sling ring and all that? It's the color yellow. So I like that those gloves made an appearance. I do really hope they come back because he didn't wear them in Infinity War or Endgame. Hopefully in Doctor Strange 2, we will, we'll see them back. Uh, maybe, if anything, they could be... Uh, remember how Gamora has the new um, headpiece, like the... the Nebula, oh, excuse me. Nebula has the orange headpiece, and then we thought that that was just an upgrade, but in reality, it was to separate which one is present day, which one is 2014 Gamora. Who knows? Doctor Strange, Multiverse of Madness, Earth 616 could be what we know Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange wearing the gloves could be another universe. That's just me having a little, you know, speculation session, but I really like it. Tom, Tom, you have brought in some great, insightful analysis to all these suits. What do you think about Doctor Strange with the gloves? That's a that's a tough uh, boots to fill on. Hard to match what you just said because yeah, that, that was pretty that high a lot of pressure. <laughs> but <laughs> but Thanks. I think the suit kind of just speaks for itself because it's been around for so long. You know, it was introduced uh -huh. in in 2016's Doctor Strange, and they haven't really iterated on that much since then. It's kind of stayed constant, besides the you know the yellow gloves uh, in Ragnarok. And yeah, like you said, I do hope they come back. Uh, in some form. It is kind of interesting that they did decide to just go that way in Ragnarok um, and not kind of explain it at all. Um, so maybe there is some kind of deeper meaning as to why he was using those. Maybe he's like, it adds to his magic in some way or um, I don't know, but I feel like he's kind of due for some sort of um, 
updates who is whether that be, be through bringing the yellow gloves in multiverse of madness or spider-man 3 if he is supposedly going to show up in that um but yeah and it's, it's a great costume and it's it's perfect for benedict cumberbatch's steven, steven strange and can we talk about his hair as well because oh, yeah. we've been talking a lot about hair uh this episode but benedict cumberbatch he makes it work especially with the, the the gray on the sides yeah amazing it looks yeah good I was going to say, uh, just to go back to my quick point about Tom Holland, maybe black and red being yeah. Spider-Man colors <laughs> going forward. First set picture today, we'll put hey. it up on the screen. Right. Black and red. Spidey wearing, Spidey wearing the mask, black and red. So who knows? Maybe those are his colors going forward. Just wanted to add that little tidbit. Yeah, I was going to um, say but that. Yeah, the, the hair. Oh, wow. How about that? Look at that. Great minds think alike. Yeah. Um, <laughs> one thing I will say, too, about the hair being great and the nice silver on the side, the goatee. I mean, come on. They know oh, it. yeah. It, it's it's so perfectly sculpted and it's it's unique because we all associate who who is the the facial hair face of the mcu it's tony stark you know with the detached mustache with the goatee and the little bit of the the soul patch there attached dr strange while it's a similar goatee it's it has its own like definition like i i can distinct dr strange's facial hair from tony stark's and that's another thing i think they really nail with his whole look genius goatee asshole with a uniform that really helps him do what he needs to do tony yeah. stark dr Strange. Yeah. i mean it's everything matters guys everything's connected everything's connected so um yeah so guys that's 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 our three each you know let me run through the teams real quick before we head into the wild card um tom your team is captain marvel from the movie captain marvel thanos from infinity war with a more uh, simple look with the gauntlet of course and then the homemade Spidey suit from Spider-Man Homecoming. Liam, your team is the Captain America stealth suit, which is badass. Loki from Avengers 2012. And Black Panther from Captain America Civil War. My team, Mysterio from Spider-Man Far From Home. The Mark 75 Iron Man armor from Avengers Infinity War. And then Dr. Stephen Strange with a quick appearance in Thor Ragnarok with, of course the yellow gloves so um let's let's run through our wild card picks real quick these are just going to be fun fan favorite picks from us to help people decide between two teams if they're having a little trouble tom what is your wild card pick so there's a couple things that i have in my notes that i'm struggling to decide upon but i think i've got a you know this is a wild card pick so i'm gonna have to go with Hawkeye's Ronin suit from Avengers Endgame. Yeah. Uh, we obviously, I love it. I love it. <laughs> we didn't see that much of it in the film, I don't think. We saw, you know, he we saw a fair bit of Hawkeye. I mean, more than we did in Infinity War. Um, but that badass introduction to Hawkeye, we haven't seen him for a whole movie. And he's there in Japan. He's tearing up shop. That, that you know, that um, one continuous shot as we follow him just like, Reckon, reckon fools, um, and he looks amazing in that suit. It's ripped straight off the comic book page, and um, honestly, well, we're getting a Hawkeye suit, a Hawkeye um, Disney Plus series eventually. I, I hope we do see that Ronin suit. Kind of, you know, maybe he won't wear it for the whole show, but at least a little bit. I think it it deserves um, Jeremy Renner to suit up back as Ronin, uh, maybe once, once or twice more. But uh, yeah, that sword as well. Can we talk about that sword? It's uh, yeah, it completes yeah. the look in it. It looks it looks amazing. Dope as hell. Uh, Love that suit. Love that. Leaving leaving Avengers Endgame, I guess a hot take I could have is 
I would argue that Hawkeye slash Ronin is one of the most, if not the most intriguing characters going into phase four that has yet to really be explored upon. Because we get that one scene of him kicking ass, slicing and dicing. We never even get a front shot of him. We know he's wearing the Ronin mask, but he takes it off before we can see the front of him. So going forward to that Hawkeye series, Hawkeye, the Disney Plus series is on the lower tier of my excitement for what they're doing with Disney Plus shows, but the intrigue of maybe expanding upon those Ronin elements and seeing that suit with the gold lining and the black and the hood and the mask, that really intrigues me. And that's what I'm most looking forward to when it comes to that series. So yeah, Hawkeye, Ronin, what we got there, there's so much untapped potential and I really hope they expand upon that and we see that suit more in the series. Liam, hit me with your wild card pick. My wild card pick. I got to give a shout out to one of, no, I'm, I'm sick of saying one of. This is the most criminally underrated MCU movie, and I have to give some love to it. Iron Man 3, Iron Patriot. That suit rules, okay? Whatever gripes you have about Iron Man 3, I get it. The Mandarin twist you don't like. Uh, Aldridge Killian is a campy villain. He breeds fire. Does that make any sense? Probably not. But what you can agree on Uh is that the Iron Man, Iron Patriot suit that James Rhodey Rhodes wears is sick. It's so cool. And there is a reason. They bring back the best suits for Avengers Endgame. Captain America's stealth suit when they raid uh, Thanos' farm. Every character gets a badass suit in that Avengers Endgame finale. And what does Rhodey wear? He wears the Iron Patriot suit in Endgame. And there's one reason why, and that's because that suit kicks ass. Specifically, it gets a little chunky in Endgame, I will admit, but the colors rock. What we saw in in, uh, Iron Man 3 of him being essentially the poster child for the American military, he's Iron Patriot. You know, it it sounds a little more peaceful than War Machine, as as they like to say. That suit rules, and if my wild card pick, it's a wild card, it's got to be out of the box, Iron Patriot, Iron Man 3. Put some respect on that movie. That's all I'll say. Wow. I got to echo Liam's love for Iron Man 3 because that I, people people hate on it, but I think it's a fantastic movie. And it, yes. to boot, it's a fantastic suit uh, from that. Um, it's a shame because it, it doesn't really get a lot of play. I mean, Rhodey like wears it a little bit. And then it's, um, I think it's the president yeah. is wearing it at the end where, <laughs> as well, which is a bit of a weird inclusion. Um, but no, it, it's badass. It has that Captain America vibe to it. It's, it's, it's just the love child of Captain America and, and uh, Iron Man put together. Wow. And I, I really hope we, we see it again at some point. Um, maybe Norman Osborn could take on the take on the Iron Patriot. I mean, oh, who knows? Man. Who knows at this point? That's a comic book deep cut. <laughs> that was it. I really love that. <laughs> um, I love it. Great pick. Um, I think where I'm going to go with my wildcard pick, it's got to be off the books, right? It's got to be a little weird. Mine will be the nation of Wakanda. And what I mean by that is all the different tribes, all the different communities, the people, the civilians, the royalty, the war dog, everybody. Everybody in Wakanda has a very unique and individualistic look. The border tribe looks a certain way. The river tribe, the priest, the mining tribe, the Jabari, the mountain tribe, the panther tribe, the royal family. They all look a very specific way that for some reason tends to what type of characters they are. Um, you know, I like the border tribe shields with their shawls. I like the mountain tribe has, you know, rocks and fur as their, 
outfits because that's what they have up there. The river tribe, the mining tribe, they all have very unique, um, unique aspects to their outfits that I think really helps build the culture that is Wakanda. One of the best parts about Black Panther, the movie, is that we are taken into this new world and immediately we feel the tradition and the culture and the history behind Wakanda. And I think a lot of that has to do with the aesthetic and the Afroculturism of these different outfits and um, just so much respect on the costume department and the visual department and the creative director behind Black Panther. You know, it got awards for how it looked. And I think that the costumes were a major part of it. Yeah, I love it. The Dora Milaje too. I yes. feel like we got to give a shout out there. Mm-hmm. The colors are regal. It feels royalty. And I like everything you said about how each individual tribe has their own authentic look and their costume tells a story. It's a two hour movie. You can't exactly give exposition to every single tribe in Wakanda, but their costumes tell a story, which I think is the beauty of what they were able to do. Ryan Coogler, a big, big shout out for making Wakanda feel lived in and feel like it has lore and history. And we got some of that um, in the inaugural Black Panther movie. We'll obviously get more lore in wherever we go with Black Panther 2. That's obviously a big point of contention for where the franchise will go rest in power uh chadwick boseman but yeah the the everything about wakanda is fantastic and the costumes are the piece de resistance yeah absolutely like you guys said it each costume in that film tells a story and you you kind of even though you aren't instantly kind of given that up front you kind of get uh what each character is kind of you know, going forward just by their costume design. And that is credit to all the creatives behind the scenes. Um, one little detail I guess I'll point out is um, during the, uh, it's the, the tribal fight where um, uh, T'Challa is fighting for his, um, you know, to retain the crown. Right. Um, when uh, you see, you cut over to Daniel Kaluuya and the border tribe and they, they have the capes over them and they're just kind of chilling and moving their shoulders up and down. It just, it just, I, I, I don't know why this stands out to me, but I love that. <laughs> I love that That's bit of the why. movie. It's and <laughs> It's awesome. And, uh, you know, that part of that is the costumes and it, it works so well. And also a uh, quick shout out to Shuri as well, because she has an, a wide array of, of looks throughout, you know, Black Panther, Infinity War, and she makes them all work and they, they're all very distinct and unique. And um, yeah, that's a very good pick, Matt. Uh, Dark Horse feature superstar of the MCU, Letitia Wright. Sure. Um, all right, guys, that is our second official direct draft. The MCU costume draft will be getting these results up on social media in the coming week. Please find them. Go vote. Let us know who you think has the best collection of MCU kits. Use hashtag direct draft to find our content. Tom, we just want to thank you again for coming on the podcast. I know it is 2 a.m. over there in the grand land of dubai and uh we can't thank you enough for coming on here and giving us some of your wisdom i'm pretty sure i'm voting for your team which is odd because i'm in this competition um but you know you you did a great job you know you sold me and uh thank you again for coming on here thank you guys for having me again and uh yeah i'm excited to see the results and see how all this shapes up before we before we get out of here and let Tom go, Tom, I understand you are a masterful illustrator. You got so much content on your socials. Feel free, plug anything you want right now, anything you're working on. Uh, I know you had that one really kick-ass article you did about phase four illustrations. Anything you want to plug right now, the, world, the floor is yours. 
Thank you so much. Um, yeah, so you can find me basically anywhere uh, at Tom Drew Art. Um, that's on Instagram, Twitter, my website, www.tomdrewart.com. Uh, I do illustrated articles, like Liam said. Uh, I've done one for yeah the MCU. I've done one for Mando. I maybe got one in the works for another uh, big property that I think fans will be um, pretty excited about. I won't I won't Ooh. give too much away, but it's a a pretty popular character. I'll say that. Um, okay. But yeah, looking forward to that. And uh, yeah, thank you again. Yeah. Well, you heard it here first. Be on the lookout for another Tom Drew illustrations article coming to the Direct.com very very soon. Tom, we like to wrap up this podcast by giving the the listeners our weekly recommendations because believe it or not, both my, Matt, myself, and I'm sure you have lives outside of DC, Marvel, and Soul and Star Wars. Nope. There's a lot of cool content to explore. You just say, nope. Nope. <laughs> it, only, it only exists here. <laughs> <laughs> there's a whole lot. There's a whole lot um, in different, fan, uh, different franchises, different uh, shows and all that stuff. We can recommend the people. I'll give you some time to think because I can give my weekly recommendation right now. If you are a fan of the kid Leroy, he is an Australian rapper and he is on the come up. He is going to be massive one day. He was a prodigy of Juice World. He's very involved with Grade A Records and he just dropped a new EP called Savage. It's seven tracks. Very short, very quick lesson, but if you are into his sound, you might recognize his tracks. Diva with Lil Tecca, Go with Juice World. He just dropped a new seven-song EP, and there is some talent on there. He, he's got NBA Youngboy, he's got Machine Gun Kelly, and I will say it's not as strong as his EP he dropped earlier this year, but it is a good listen, and it tells a pretty cool story. So, The Kid Leroy, Savage, Spotify, Apple Music, wherever you get your tunes, check it out. Okay, continuing the music trend, uh, I guess I'll go with uh, my pick, which is uh, the new Gorillaz album. Uh, obviously, they're well known for Feel Good Inc., Stylo, um, but they've got a new record. Uh, <laughs> there it is, Feel Good Inc. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's called, uh, what's it called? It's called Song Machine, uh, Season 1, Strange Times. It's a very eclectic uh, mix of different genres uh, from uh, co-creators Damon Albarn and uh, Jamie Hewlett. It's got features, um, Robert Smith from The Cure, Elton John, uh, Slow Tie, and it's also got some up and coming rappers, uh, rappers and, and singers and musicians as well. Um, so it's definitely worth a listen. It's, it, you can find it anywhere uh, music is sold. Um, if you don't have time to listen to the whole album, I recommend Aries uh, featuring Peter, uh, Peter Hook in Georgia, which is a very new order inspired track. Um, but yeah, definitely give that one a listen. Uh, you definitely won't regret it. Fantastic. The future is coming on, is coming on. I love, I love gorillas. Matt, what's your pick? Amazing. I forgot that the, I didn't know gorillas were still around doing stuff. Are they still cartoons? They're still cartoons. They're, they're a, bit, a bit updated now, but. That's yeah. good. Okay. So my pick, um, getting off music, if you're a fan of sports or a fan of American football, um, you know, I, I'm an Indianapolis Colts fan. Shame. I'm, I have no shame in saying that. I'm a fan of the Indianapolis Colts. This weekend, they're playing the Baltimore Ravens. That's not my recommendation. Lamar Jackson is one of the most electric and most um, versatile quarterbacks in the NFL today. No quarterback has or will ever run the way Lamar Jackson runs. He's going against the middle linebacker for the Indianapolis Colts, Darius Leonard, the fastest, best angle tackling linebacker in the NFL that's a matchup that I think is going to be 
Bird versus Magic, Peyton versus Tom, the best of the best at those two positions working against each other all day. If you're a fan of football, take a peek at the Colts-Ravens game this weekend. I promise you, number 53, taking on Lamar Jackson. Big matchup coming this weekend. You heard it here first. Ravens-Colts, the matchup to watch out for, specifically with that matchup of Jackson versus Leonard. That's going to do it for the Direct Podcast. Episode 6, Mando Review, Costume Draft, a whole lot of content coming your way. Uh, to listen and we want to hear from you guys on socials tweet any of the direct accounts that's mcu underscore direct dcu underscore direct star wars underscore direct we want to hear from you what did you like what did you not like from both the mandalorian and the uh, costume draft we also want to know your picks because guys there are dozens hundreds of mcu costumes we didn't even get to touch on so tweet us at any of the platforms with costumes you think should have been included in this draft. Give us your picks. Give us your three and your wild card. We want to hear from you. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next week.